Hello, I'm Fiona Harris from the Open University Business School and I'm talking to Professor of Social Marketing, Gerard Hastings, about ethics and social marketing. Gerard, marketing, perhaps rather ironically, tends to have a poor public image. People often joke that ethical marketing is an oxymoron. Does social marketing elicit similar negative reactions? It certainly treads in some delicate ethical ground. I think I would argue that marketing is not so much immoral as amoral, and it's how it is used that determines its morality. And in the case of social marketing, we have to be very alert to it because essentially what we're doing is messing with people's lives. We're interfering in in what they do and encouraging them to change what they do. So we better be sure that we're advising them correctly and, and, and saying things that really will make their lives better. How does social marketing balance attempting to change people's behaviour whilst respecting individuals' autonomy? I think I would probably start with Jean-Paul Sartre here and, and argue that you know people's individual autonomy is perhaps something we exaggerate in modern capitalist countries. You know We tend to think that we are all self-empowered, making decisions about whether we're going to do this or consume that or not consume that. And In reality, we're actually quite constrained by the environment in which we find ourselves, by things like social norms, the extent we think our behaviour is normal and acceptable. All these will impinge on our supposedly freedom-based individual decisions. So we need to recognise that we're not necessarily as free as all that. And very often all social marketing is doing is is rebalancing things. So, you know, a society that's awash with uh, stimuli to consume alcohol, for example, needs to be balanced by some indication that this isn't necessarily all that normal a behaviour. You know, if you look on a global perspective, for example, most people don't drink. What about smoking? What about the smokers... Um, response that they've got a, a right to smoke if they want to and they don't mind damaging their health. I think freedom is a very, very shaky basis for a pro-tobacco message. A uh, vast majority of smokers start in childhood before they are in a position to judge the full enormity of what they're doing. Um, they then become addicted to nicotine and find it very difficult to stop. But you know, if you get to the age of 21 without smoking, you will not smoke. Nobody starts, no adults mature adults start smoking. Plus, you've got this issue of addiction. So, you know, to what extent is it a free choice to take something that is as, you know, nicotine is more addictive than heroin? Would we talk about heroin users as suffering from, um, you know, the freedom being impinged by drug treatment facilities, for example? Business marketing is frequently criticised when it targets or excludes vulnerable or disadvantaged groups of people. Social marketing often involves working with vulnerable or hard-to-reach target groups. What measures do social marketers take to ensure that these groups are not subjected to undue pressure or unfairly excluded in social marketing campaigns? I think you, you raise a very delicate issue and there is a number of different dangers here. Um, one is that you know, by targeting um, particularly disadvantaged groups, we somehow stigmatise them. You know, so we put all the you know, drug treatment facilities in one particular community and thereby that community acquires a reputation for being riddled with drugs and, and so on. On the other hand, there's a moral dilemma that if we just broadcast, if we don't target, then what history teaches us that it will be the more empowered members of the community who will pick up on such messages, particularly when the messages are typically being generated by people like them. So most people who are running social marketing campaigns are educated, middle-class, white males, and, and you know, lo and behold, it's the educated white middle classes who respond most successfully in the last 50 years, for example, to these sorts of messages. So targeting has its dangers, but not targeting 
has its dangers as well. And I, th- I think in some ways your question betrays one of the, the, the real dangers here when you talk about hard-to-reach groups, which is a phrase that trips off the tongue very easily. But uh, arguably, actually, we should think of this the, the other way around. There's no such thing as a hard-to-reach group. There's just hard-to-access services. You know, uh, a good marketer will not blame his customer for not buying the product. He'll look at the product or she'll look at the product and say, well, how can I adjust this offering so it becomes attractive enough for the customer to buy it? One of the economist Milton Friedman's arguments against corporate social responsibility was that business wasn't qualified to decide what was in society's best interests. Are social marketers entitled to determine which behaviours should be permitted or prohibited? I think it's, uh, again, a very thorny moral issue and and I think that those decisions have to be made with uh, great care and great transparency. I'm not sure social marketers are necessarily the best people to make those decisions either. I think in a democracy that really needs to be some sort of elected representative that that sets these priorities and makes the decisions. You know, do we invest public money in um, campaigns to stop people smoking or to stop people drinking or as has tended to happen interestingly in, in the last few decades in Britain, put most of the money into illicit drug use and whereas in fact most of the harm is done by illicit drugs you know tobacco and alcohol do far more damage than do the illicit drugs so why is it that we put so much effort into those and not into the could it be that you know there are big companies who have a vested interest in people smoking and drinking mm-hmm. so there, there's clearly a need to make these decisions very carefully and it, I think it's it is the most important uh, ethical challenge that social marketers make and the the primary first one they they face is whose behaviour and why. Who does tend to be behind the setting the agenda as to which issues should be addressed? Is it government? Is it social marketers? Is it research? First and foremost, I think it has to be government who are doing this because they have most of the budgets and and so so they would be involved. But whether governments make empowered decisions without influence from other vested interests is a moot point and Tobacco companies, alcohol companies, food companies um, will uh, notoriously will, will try and influence um, government decision making. So, you know, thinking globally, you know, the, the World Health Organization has tried to address issues of smoking and alcohol use and, and diet and, and come under a, an enormous amount of well-documented pressure to try and undermine it. You know, when it tried to make statements about the dangers of an over-sugared diet, for example, the, the American sugar companies were ruthless in trying to cut them down. And I'm not exposing something new here. That's well-documented, well-established. That uh, So you know, there will be pressures put on them. Social marketers themselves, I think, tend to be enacting campaigns rather than making decisions about because they, they don't tend to be budget holders. They tend to be um, spending other people's money. But it well behoves them to ask questions about whether they should be engaging their efforts and skills in a particular area. You know, if, if you like, uh, a well-trained social marketer is somebody who has a powerful palette of skills that they, they can use to change people's lives, to, to interfere in people's lives. So it is very important they recognise that they are influencers of people's lives and, and, and behave ethically and make, make sure they are dealing with behaviours that, that, that really matter. The other sector that I've not touched on and, and should be mentioned in response to your question is the third sector and the NGO community and you know groups like uh, Cancer Research UK, for example, or Bernardo's or any number of NGOs who will lobby government to take action in certain areas and uh, make them think about it. And I, I think that is legitimate. But again, decisions have to be made to balance priorities and decide 
you know, the, the danger with companies is that they will make the choice not in terms of, you know, which behaviours would most benefit society. They will make the choice in terms of which behaviours will produce the best PR. And similarly, you know, if you're a, an NGO focused on homelessness, then you will give that a bigger priority than might uh, an NGO concerned with drug misuse, for example. So government has to ultimately be the arbiter of these. That's really interesting what you say about pressures. One of the reasons ethical issues occur in business marketing is because marketers often face conflicting demands between trying to satisfy consumers' needs on the one hand and their organisation's interests on the other. Are there any other kinds of pressures that social marketers face? Yes, I, I think there are. I think it's, it's more stark in a commercial sector in that you know the, the, the pressure to make profits and to respond to shareholders' needs will always supersede any other pressures, you know, because if you stop satisfying shareholders, you're out of business. And we need to really have that tattooed in our hearts, that, that reality. So when commercial companies get involved in good causes, it's always with an eye to that main chance. And, you know, that's how it is. And indeed, to a large extent, that's how it ought to be, because corporations are spending other people's money. So they rightly have this fiduciary requirement to look after their shareholders. So that, that's really important. There are, however, equivalent pressures on social marketers, I think, and sometimes these can become overbearing as well. And the great example of that in recent time, I think, would be the introduction of targets of one sort or another. So you have to meet certain targets. And you as a social marketer, your career, your advancement will depend upon you meeting those targets. And those targets can sometimes become perverse. And um, so, you know, cessation services have to get so many people into the services, for example. And, you know, they will focus on getting people in above and beyond all else. So, you know, rather than putting effort into uh, looking after people long term, once they've got them into the services, they, they just put all their efforts into getting the door going and not necessarily resulting in the best interests of the people that they are set up to help. Do targets always have to be numbers, um, or do they uh, include effectiveness, and how on earth would you uh, assess that? You're right, very often targets are brought down to numbers, and I think one of the reasons for that is numbers have this comforting precision, but that precision is often spurious because numbers don't mean anything on their own. They represent something else, whether that be the number of people who are attending a service or how many people have gone successfully through it or, or, or whatever. Um, I, I think targets don't need to be that crass. I think they can be more sophisticated. But you immediately get into, as you have rightly say, issues of measurement. So in, in the commercial sector, again, paradoxically, one would expect them to be very numbers-driven, you know, numbers of bags of cash, for example. Increasingly, the interest is not in these sorts of crude sales graphs. It's in measuring things like customer satisfaction, which is much more difficult. You know, you can count the number of people going through a door. It's much more difficult to measure, take a ruler out and measure customer satisfaction. But the fact that it's difficult to measure doesn't mean it's not important. And businesses recognise that and puts a lot of effort into it. And personally, I think the social marketers could learn a great deal from that idea. And, you know, if they stopped focusing so much on taking people through a prescribed set of steps towards the, the right behaviour, you know, in a very prescriptive sort of way, and started to measure things like people's, you know, engagement with the idea of changing their behaviour, their feelings of self-empowerment, the extent to which they think, you know, the fundamental public health message that they can do something to make their lives better. They buy into that and the ownership of that. In other words, picking up on something that Derek Wanless talked about, engagement and full engagement of people in the process of health improvement, 
I think the potential is is great, and ultimately that's what we want to do. We we actually even cessation services, I don't think, should be focused on the idea of simply getting people to quit smoking. They should be focused on the idea of you know, changing smoking behaviour, of course, but they should also be thinking about how people do that and how they feel about doing it. Do they end up not smoking and feeling like they've been forced into this by a, you know, a rather repressive service and a culture which says that you shall not smoke? Or do they come through it thinking, I've conquered this and I'm now a non-smoker and I'm really proud and pleased about that? And do they go even a step further and say, this just demonstrates the things I can do to make my life healthier and happier and, and, and longer and start to think about taking exercise and um, changing their diet and making that healthier. And, in other words, turning them into people who, to a greater st- extent, the authors of their own fate. And I think yeah, that's what really underpins the inequalities issues in, in the UK, where you know, we've got this appalling situation where you know, the poorest people in Britain die a quarter of a century before the richest people. And that's you know, just a, an incredible and appalling statistic. And I think fundamentally, a fundamental part of that is that the people at the bottom of the pile do not feel in a position to, um, they don't have a sense of agency. They can't, they, they can't determine or even influence tomorrow. So they concentrate on today. Whereas, you know, if you're in a good job, you've got good prospects, you've got a mortgage, all these things m- make you feel more inclined to um, get into the saddle and, and, and uh, you know, take all of the reins and, 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 and rush ahead. Um, and, and feel that you've got some power over it and thereby bring you about much better health outcomes across the board. And maybe more important than that, a sense of achievement and feeling in control and you get into a very difficult area, but may, maybe just that feeling is really what we're all after. Rather than actual longevity, we just want our lives to feel like they are better and reverting back to commercial marketers, they've recognised that long ago and they've put an enormous amount of effort into branding and stroking and, you know, because you're worth it and all that sort of stuff. Social marketers should do the same. Are there any examples in social marketing where you have actually been able to improve people's lives and turn them around? Yeah, well, I think probably the core um, public health issue in, in the UK and across the world, indeed, tobacco use, there is no doubt about it. If you talk to people who have successfully quit smoking, that is an incredibly empowering, high-achieving moment. You know, I, I've spoken to people who gave up smoking 20 years ago, and it's still a major issue. That's something they a badge they wear with great pride. It's, you know, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say for, for many people it's their biggest single achievement because it's a personal battle, and they, they have won it, and they, they feel really good about that. So, yeah, it's not so much an individual campaign as a, a real palpable sense that people can feel great about their health and about public health. And I think what we often fail to do is, is build on that, see that as a, a foundation upon which we can really encourage people to address all aspects of their life in an equally empowered way and you know, not continually threaten them with dire consequences if they don't do as they're told, but help them to see that there are opportunities for them to make their lives better. Businesses sometimes engage in social marketing themselves. For example, some alcohol companies include messages about responsible drinking on their bottles. What's your view about companies engaging in social marketing activities? 
I think fine. It uh, can't do any harm, provided we recognise that this is not about making people drink more safely or improving public health. It's about managing corporate reputation. And it has to be about that. They are a corporation. Their first and foremost duty is to their shareholders, not to the general public. And therefore, you know, as long as those two align, fine. But if it comes to a point where they have to choose between doing the social marketing and paying their dividends to their shareholders, the dividends will always win out. So in other words, the real danger is that we get confused and think this is genuinely some sort of altruistic program by the company and lower our guard, stop doing publicly funded, genuine, if you will, social marketing campaigns, genuine in the sense it's, its sole purpose is to benefit the target audience for that for that social marketing effort and you know think we've got that all covered because a particular alcohol company is is uh, running a campaign on something and uh, you know in the long term that could be disastrous do you think that um, regulation by the companies themselves is sufficient or do you think that actually legislation is required Companies are not going to regulate themselves sufficiently well. No, it's not the same thing as running social marketing campaigns, but if we're looking at how they run their businesses, then no self-regulation has been shown time and again. doesn't work any better than you know, allowing the fox to take charge of the hen coop. You know, this isn't a criticism of any particular company or any particular individual. You know, humans are fallible, and you know, if you put them in a position where they are policing themselves, and you know, whether you're doctors, whether you're policemen, or whether you're marketing executives, it don't work. It's been nice talking to you. Thank you very much, Jared. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.